Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com. And we are the children of the 80s. Merry Christmas. Welcome back to Lunchtime Movie Review. We're back again with our holiday-themed review. This week, bringing you another film from our childhood. But first, a word from our sponsor. When in Kingston Falls, come to Dory's Tavern to escape the bright light and wet your whistle. We have the friendliest bartender in town. She will never cut you off or turn you away. We are happy to announce our kitchen is open past midnight. You'll say yum yum to our food. Dory's Tavern. Across the street from the clock tower. When most people think Christmas movies, some think, I was going to say Nightmare on Elm Street. Some think. (laughs) (laughs) Some really sick individuals may think that. (laughs) Some think Miracle on 34th Street. Others, It's a Wonderful Life. But the children of the 80s think Gremlins. And this is the story that's told in Gremlins. Our story begins in Chinatown. We know it's Chinatown because there are a lot of Asians and the roads are mysterious and smoky. A poor man's short round is guiding Randall Peltzer into his grandfather's store, a store that sells all sorts of Chinesey-looking artifacts. Randall is an amateur inventor along the lines of one of the greatest inventors of all time, Data. And I mean Data from Goonies, not Star Trek. I'm out. Randall is hoping the Chinatown shop will agree to sell one of his inventions. He is distracted by some singing in the background and finds the cutest little creature, which Mr. Ming, the Chinese grandfather shop owner, identifies as a mogwai. Unfortunately for Randall, he doesn't speak Cantonese. Otherwise, he would understand what mogwai means and avoid the need for a movie altogether. The grandfather refuses to sell the mogwai to Randall, but he's able to purchase it from short round. He learns the only three rules that govern owning and taking care of the mogwai. Number one, keep it out of bright lights. It hates it and sunlight will kill it. Number two, never get it wet. Don't even give it water to drink. And most importantly, number three, never feed it after midnight. Although he never explains the practical application of these rules. Midnight according to what time zone? When does this rule expire? What about water and food? These, as well as other crazy questions, see Phoebe Kate's crazy story later in the film, are never answered. It's Christmas time in Kingston Falls, a town that looks eerily similar to Marty McFly's Hill Valley. Randall gives this harmless little creature, who he names Gizmo, to his son Billy as an early Christmas present. Billy works at a bank for the evil bank owner Flo from Alice. He's sweet on his co-worker, the red bikini-wearing whore from Fast Times. Billy bonds with Gizmo immediately. Unfortunately, a not-yet-coked-out Corey Feldman shows up and accidentally spills water on Gizmo. Like most Asians, the Mogwai multiply with ease, and these furry Asians multiply when they contact water. Although duplication is a very painful process for Gizmo, Billy nonetheless tortures Gizmo again to give his high school science teacher, the only black guy in the movie, his own Mogwai to conduct experiments on. These new Mogwai are a little different from Gizmo. They are mischievous and take to tying up Billy's dog and Christmas lights. Late one night, Gizmo's retarded clones beg for some yum-yums. Since it's around 11.30, Billy gives them food. 
and in what is likely some very nefarious subtext, Billy gives these evil mogwai some fried chicken. But what Billy doesn't know is these mogwais trick Billy into feeding them yum-yums after midnight. The next day, cocoon-like pods are found and the mogwais start going through some sort of metamorphosis. The pods soon hatch and the cute, cuddly, furry mogwais turn into evil, lizard-like gremlins intent on death and destruction. As per usual, Hollywood kills the only black guy in the film first, and Mr. Hansen, science teacher, gets taken out with a hype in the butt. Hollywood's message? Dare to be an educated black man, and you will bite it first. A la Red Dawn. These gremlins quickly attack Billy's mom, but like all good middle-class housewives, she is good with kitchen appliances. She uses everything from a standard kitchen knife, a juicer, and a microwave to dispatch these gremlins. At least all the gremlins but Stripe, the leader. Billy and Gizmo try to take care of Stripe, but apparently Stripe is looking for some man love, so he makes his way to the local YMCA where he cannonballs into the pool. Although he probably isn't the first disgusting naked creature to jump into the pool of the YMCA, Stripe probably does the most damage. This dip in the pool creates an army of gremlins who descend upon this quiet town on Christmas Eve, and destruction ensues. They attack various townspeople, killing many along in awesome ways, such as rigging elevator chairs. But these gremlins aren't just about destruction. They also want to party. They wind up at Dory's Tavern, where Phoebe Cates moonlights as a bartender for some drinking and smoking. While there, they play pool, video games, and poker. They swing on fans, and one dirty gremlin takes to flashing Phoebe Cates. But who can really blame him for that? Like I said, these guys know how to party. Billy and Phoebe get together as a team to take out the gremlins. But first... It's Christmas story time with Phoebe Cates. With that, Billy and Phoebe search out the remaining gremlin army. They find them at a local movie theater watching their favorite Disney movie, Snow White. And like all YMCA attending retards everywhere, they love it. <laughs> I grew up in the YMCA and I worked at the YMCA. It was like my first job. And I like Snow White. I really don't know what's happening to me here. Billy and Phoebe are able to blow up this movie theater, taking out most of their enemies. Real original, Tarantino. That is, all except for Stripe. Stripe has a knack, not unlike our own Jason, of finding the local candy stores, and he's taken to raiding it. Billy drives Stripe to a mall and hunts him with a bat. But all Stripe is looking for is a source of water. A battle ensues between Billy and Stripe in the sporting goods store. But Gizmo comes to the rescue, driving an adorable Barbie car. Stripe, however, has found a fountain and plunges in. Fortunately, this gremlin's tepid cloning station is right under a window, and Gizmo is able to pull the blinds, melting a duplicating Stripe. Gizmo is the ultimate hero. It's now Christmas Eve, and Billy, Gizmo, and his family have settled down for a safe Christmas night. When Chinese grandfather shop owner Mr. Ming shows up to take Gizmo back, he imparts some ancient Chinese wisdom. He tells Billy's family that the Gilo are just incapable of taking care of nature. Because we all know China is a real example of cleanliness environmental responsibility. Moral learned, Chinese man. In the end, Gizmo sweetly says goodbye to Billy, and like all foreigners, only speaks English when he wants to. The end. All right, that's Gremlins, give or take a couple facts. <laughs> when did this come out? 
Uh, Gremlins was released on June 8th, 1984. Uh, it was a busy summer season, obviously, since we keep reviewing 1984 films. Another 1984 <laughs> film. We can never get away! Uh, it was released the same day as Beat Street and Ghostbusters. Uh, it was also released in June with Streets of Fire, Star Trek Three, Karate Kid, Rhinestone, Top Secret, Bachelor Party, Cannonball Run 2, and Conan the Destroyer. It was the fourth highest grossing film of 1984, only behind Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, and uh, Temple of Doom, uh, and actually was re-released the following summer, 1985, and made another $5 million that summer as well. Wow. So this is a... Well, 1984 is a big movie year, obviously, because that's the only one that Lunchtime Movie Review will, will stay in, apparently. But it, it was a big, big movie, at least a, a summer movie with, with Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones, but... We refer to this as a as a Christmas movie, and it it is takes place at Christmas. the The entire thing pretty much takes place on Christmas Eve, at least the bulk of it. But but it was but it comes out in the summer. What what's with that? It was originally intended to be Warner Brothers Christmas movie of 1984, but they realized they really didn't have a blockbuster film for the summer to go up against Ghostbusters and Temple of Doom, which were expected to be big hits. So they moved it forward to basically about six months to make sure that they had something. It's a Spielberg film. They knew it was going to do well. I don't know if they thought it was going to do that well, but it did uh, very, very well for them. When you say it's a Spielberg film, what, what was his involvement in this? Uh, Steven Spielberg uh, produced this film. But he didn't direct or No, he or didn't direct. He didn't write. Chris Columbus uh, wrote it. Uh, Joe Dante directed it. Um, but he basically shepherded in. It was first the first Amblin Entertainment film that was produced under the Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment production company. Well, I, I did do so. We we all did some research on on the original story, and we learned that uh, he really did Spielberg this bitch. <laughs> Is that some sort of anti-Semitic comment? <laughs> well, he made it on the cheap. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. It it. Uh, well, Patrick, you found that the the original story you were talking about what the original concept was for Gremlins. Yeah, Chris Columbus's original screenplay was. A now, movie. is this Chris Columbus or Christopher Columbus? Is this the same dude? No, this is Chris Columbus, the same dude who made Home Alone and the Harry Potter films. So the first yeah. two Harry Potter films. Yeah, not the guy who discovered America. Oh, man. good, because <laughs> he's old now. Yeah, he's old. Yeah. This is the same guy. Uh, yeah, he he went on to become a director. Uh, he wrote a few screenplays in the '80s. He actually even wrote Goonies as well for Spielberg after this one. But he the screenplay was originally very dark. It was a very kind of horror film like. Still is. Well, it's still pretty dark. But I mean, the original Dad's screenplay, dying in chimneys. Yeah. Well, getting burnt up. That's gross. They had well, they had uh, mom getting killed in the house by the gremlins. Billy coming home and mom's head being rolled down the stairs at him. The gremlins eating the dog. Um, oh. Gizmo didn't even appear in the second. And this half. wasn't even a John Carpenter film. No, right? no, no, no. But I mean, that's staying true to Asian films. <laughs> <laughs> that that wasn't the horror sequence. That was just that was Christmas dinner. Right. Damn so, racial stereotypes so, you, no. wielding its ugly head. Yeah, they they didn't even have Gizmo in the second half of the film. The original screenplay was uh, Gizmo turned into Stripe, and there there was no you know sidekick to Billy throughout the, the second half of the film, and it wasn't that other actually, than Phoebe Cates. Other than Phoebe Cates, but Spielberg actually changed that very late in the production that wanted to make. He said Gizmo is the hero in this film, 
they had already, I believe, even started filming, and they had no intention of adding this little doll to run around the second half of the film. So one of the ways to solve that was we'll throw him in a backpack, and then we don't have to worry about it. Well, we had to make Gizmo the hero because Billy's a puss. Yeah. And even the end of the film, it, the, the last sequence was supposed to be Gizmo opens one shade, but Billy runs across the room and opens another shade. Ultimately, was, that's what kills Stripe, and they added that out to make Gizmo the ultimate hero in the film. Yeah, and that's crazy that they didn't see at the time that... I mean, I think the int- the story is interesting that Gizmo turns into uh, Stripe and becomes the bad guy, essentially, becomes the, the gremlin, uh, but that they didn't see originally the possibility for just marketing and, mer- and merchandising, which is what this film became. At least I remember the toys and the stuffed animals and all the, the, the Gizmo stuff out there. Well, you know, and it's funny because I think in 1984, you're still coming out of the late 70s where like Star Wars, 20th Century Fox gave the rights to the merchandising to George Lucas because there's no money to be made there. He made a fortune out of it. And even coming in the early 80s, E.T. didn't really have a merchandising deal done until late. Uh, you get to Gremlins, according to like Joe, da- Joe Dante, that Warner Brothers never even saw the merchandising appeal of this film until they were running dailies. And they saw the scene where Gizmo comes out of the box early in the, in the film for the first time, and then they lit up, oh, we can make dolls and we can do this. But they were already into production at that point in time. There was no, you know, there was no intention of making this a merchandising deal, even though Spielberg was involved. So he changed that and, and effectively, to a degree, makes it a family film. I still, I mean, I've been talking about this film or thinking about doing this. I considered this kind of like a family, family film. Does ever, did everyone kind of find that? I saw it more as a cautionary tale. Stay away from things from Asia. Only bad things come from Asia. Colds, flus, SARS, now gremlins. I'm out. Maybe that was the in, that was the intent. But what do you guys what do you guys think about that the change in the story of having Gizmo uh stay around or having Gizmo turn into to Stripe? What do you think the effect would have been to the story if they would have kept it original? Not nearly as successful. You would have a limited audience, it would have been more perceived more as a horror film, even if Spielberg was involved in with it. I mean, I'd be I'd be very curious if Steven Spielberg ever made a absolutely traditional horror film, produced it. I mean, the Poltergeist is his horror film, and even that's PG. It's pretty family friendly as far as ghost stories go. It's just with Spielberg involved, there's going to be a, a you know a kid element to it almost always. I, I'm wondering what happened to the Phoebe Cates nude scene with Judge Reinhold masturbating. <laughs> Judge Reinhold in this film, he just follows her around. Yeah, do you think this was intentional? That yeah, yeah, I think there is because the the people who made this seem to have a, a a good sense of humor about it. Even when they made the sequel to this, they poked fun at everything they did in this one, the Phoebe Kate speech, the rules themselves. So I think they have a sense of humor about it, and they like to have that little homage back to other films. I mean, even Spielberg makes a cameo in it. Was it you, Greg? You said Chuck Jones makes a cameo in it. And, yeah, and he was one of the animators of Bugs Bunny, which is where one of the the Gremlins comes out of that. Although they didn't use that in this film, but wait a minute, Gremlins comes out of Bugs Bunny. Gremlins comes from a book. Uh, was created by a um, God. I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Raul Dole. Yeah, that he wrote Raul a book Dole. called The Gremlins. Yeah, James and the Giant Peach right. guy. So, um, but. Warner Brothers made an animated feature in the 40s where Bugs Bunny's on a plane and the plane's falling apart and it's being caused by a gremlin. So we talk about this being becoming more family friendly. I mean, it is it is PG. And this is the the time just before 84, as we have talked about in the past with 16 Candles and and the other films at the time is before there even exists a PG-13 and and 
what I read was interesting uh, that this was one of the films that's credited for causing a PG-13 rating to come in, and it's really Spielberg himself with this and then Temple uh, of Doom. Temple of Doom, right? Yeah, well, the, specifically the uh, microwave sequence or the entire kitchen sequence where Mom fights the gremlins and uh, blends one up and explodes one in the microwave is the scene that a lot of a lot of critics, a lot, especially you know, parents groups pointed to is that that was over the top for a family film. And in, even in, and you can kind of see their argument that this was marketed. The trailer for it doesn't show a gremlin, doesn't show a mogwai at all. You see Gizmo's hands coming out of the box. That's all you saw. It's produced by Steven Spielberg, who just made E.T., a very family-friendly film. And then they go in here, and they have these little creatures being exploded and blended up and doing all kinds of mayhem. It's, it's you know, even the director stated, yeah, I can understand if someone took their four-year-old to this film. This is not a film for a four-year-old. There almost needs to be a middle ground there for it. That is a great scene, though, the kitchen scene where the, the juicer blends up the one. And that part, that scene, though, with the juicer really is played, it, it seems more for comedy than anything because you got the little frog leg-looking things sticking out, spinning around, and the, the kind of cartoonish blood. Uh, from this from this thing but the but the microwave scene is interesting because they show the entire thing i mean you see billy's mom put the put the gremlin in the microwave hit it and it stays on there the whole time it's not like a cutaway and then you hear something like you might expect i mean they show it they show it all well and the criticism was that they thought small children were going to start throwing family pets in there to see if you know if they could blow them up you know my criticism of that would be if if your kid is likely to do what they imitate on television and know that they're going to blow up a family pet in a microwave, then you probably got a sick child to start with. Well, wh- whether it's intended to be funny or not, it's a very violent sequence. I, I mean, you're and, and the ditched beheading of mom at the end, all that's missing is, and you have Friday the 13th. Kill him, mommy. Kill him. And the end scene I do think is also pretty graphic with Stripe ultimately melting kind of a la... Raiders of the Lost Ark, right, in the in the opening of the um, of the arc, it, it shows that, and his eyeballs are kind of coming down, and it so it is it is pretty graphic. But other than that, other than those three sequences, basically, or three images, it's pretty tame. I mean, it's it's pretty cartoony, and, it, and it's pretty and it's pretty lighthearted. Uh, it's very cur- cartoonish, yeah, yeah. But I, I did, I think, do you think that's interesting? And PG thirteen is a was a probably a really good idea for yeah, Hollywood. But, yeah, what four or five months later, they had the PG thirteen rating. Dreamscape. There you go. Or the Flamingo Kid. Or, or Red Dawn. One, one, of, of, the one of the three. <laughs> the bragging rights. We were the first. And this is very visually Spielberg, but the set, I thought, was interesting as to, as to what, what the set came from. Universal Studios? Universal yeah, Studios, yeah. Exactly. Back to the Future. Right, and it's clearly... With plastic back- Snow. Yeah, with Plastic Snow, although this is before they filmed Back to the Future, I believe. They yeah. did Gremlins, and then they did Back, right, yeah, back, back to the Future. Right, because Back to the Future is 86, right? 85. But, I mean, this this is the, the Hill Valley scene of, of Marty on his skateboard and, and well, the whole the whole town there. Uh, but, yeah, the snow is almost off-putting how fake it is. Come on, California. You can't do a better job with snow. It looked like real snow to me, man. Yeah, yeah, no I grew problem. up in Southern California and never had a problem with the movie. Is that your criticism, the film, the snow looked fake? That's one of my criticisms. <laughs> it's a minor point, but it's a point nonetheless. And there's always there's snow everywhere. This this 
town is just blanketed in the snow, even under like awnings and leading up to every uh, it's Christmas every time. store. Well, right, it's a white Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, it's very picturesque. Very, it's it's a wonderful life in it. So we talk uh, made reference to the rules and and how the rules don't make sense, and that to me was a breakdown in the in the story. So let's talk about those those rules. Number one, bright lights. Right, that yes. rule one. Keep them away from bright lights. Sunlight will kill them. Yeah. So they're kind of like I have no problem with vampires. It works. Yeah, it works. Yeah, it's fine. It seems to follow the same rules as uh, vampires, where they're they're irritated by bright light. UV light kills them. To uh, keep them away from garlic. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Number two, don't get them wet. Which in and of itself, don't even give them anything to drink. That's the weird one. Yeah, that is a weird one. I I, I picture Gizmo taking like dust baths and. Stuff you give like hamsters, <laughs> right. but depriving it of water, that's just sort of weird. Yeah, and it does break down because most foods, so you can't give it an apple, you can't give him anything with much yeah, milk. Yeah. Right. What does that even mean? So they don't, which would have been interesting if he drinks water to see it kind of, see him like coughing up a bunch of fur balls or something. I guess that would have been a. And as cute as that thing is, when he first gets wet and you see him kind of struggling on the desk, if you look at Billy. And then uh, pre-coke Corey Feldman, they're looking at all the little hairballs popping out of Gizmo's back and watching what happens to them. They're not caring for Gizmo, who they have an attachment to at this point, still struggling and wiggling in pain on the desk. And it's, just it's kind of a weird scene. Yeah, and just screeching, which is the, why I think it's funny that they take it to the science teacher and like, no, watch this. It's funny. He's going to scream. And why aren't? Why isn't the science teacher calling the local media to say, hey, we discovered a new species? Well, yeah. And why the science teacher? I mean, I. And why is he black? <laughs> well, they need to kill someone first. So I'm going to take it to my science teacher, my ninth grade, tenth grade right. science teacher. He's got all the answers. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we're being hypercritical, but OK, let's but let's still, move on to the the, to the, the big one, the midnight. One. Yeah. Don't feed it after midnight. I mean, what when what does that even mean? It means no food ever. Right. Possibly. Right. First of all, what's the time zone? This is, a, this is a little Asian creature, we assume. So is it on Chinese standard time? At what point? Is it, it at Greenwich Mean Time? Do we do Daylight Savings right. Time? What, is, what does this mean? And when does this stop? Is it a three-hour window? Yeah, is it a one-hour window? Right. When the sun comes out, is it okay? Exactly. Six. All these questions. When can you shake a baby? <laughs> <laughs> but you said, Patrick, that they, they did kind of make fun of this in the in the sequel how'd, how'd they address it in the sequel you know billy's going over the the uh, rules with someone and someone's like well what do you mean by midnight i mean it's always after midnight when can you start feeding it yeah basically asking a lot of the same questions that we we were asking and they, they really just poke fun at themselves and it that the uh creators even joe dante said when we were making it we were we were wondering how is, is the audience going to buy these rules are they just going to go along for the ride or are they going to start going Hey, wait a minute! Isn't it always after midnight sometime? And when can you start feeding them again? And that was the way it was drafted in the script, and they just went with it. And they said the audience seemed to go along with it, and they had no problem. But when we got to a sequel, we felt we had to do something. They stumbled upon these rules. They understood there was some confusion, so they brought in Phoebe Cates to try to distract us all. Yeah, but Phoebe Cates is wearing this weird pilgrim dress throughout the for the first part, and then uh, never shows any. Basically, the only skin you see is uh, her face. Yeah, the only skin, the only skin you see is is her face. Yeah, it is it is cold out. I mean, there's plastic snow on the ground, so that that 
It's part of the reason, but I, I agree yeah, with but you. They they could have done something. They could have a Chicago Bulls jersey or something. Yeah. Would be <laughs> they could be hot. They could have thrown her at the YMCA and she's taking a late night swim. There they could go. have thrown that in very very easily. That's the safest place for her is swimming naked at the YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> well, even Judge Reinhold, it's kind of interesting that. They, he was, I mean, somewhat of an established actor at that time. He, he, that's the same year Beverly Hills Cop comes out, but he was in Fast Times. And he's in the first 20 minutes of the film and then just disappears. Well, they and had that, Andrew McCarthy, and he pulled out at the last minute. So. So, well, also with Beverly Hills Cop, you have the bad guy from Beverly Hills Cop show up as a sheriff deputy in Gremlins. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All these films connect. Well, it, it, it's just kind of interesting that, you know, even the... Uh, Polly Holiday flow that they add this element in here of that you know, like she's going to be a bigger villain than she right. what she is and they could never even go anywhere with it and they actually even have the sequence that the woman who keeps approaching you know approaches her about giving her husband more time to pay the bills and you see her at the bank you never have any kind of resolution it's kind of this, these storylines that they just drop in the second half of the film yeah and that's you, you you mentioned that they drop these things in the second half of the film this does feel like two very different movies that they're setting up uh, something else, and then the gremlins turn, and they just again they do a f- the napkin. Let's just let's just put more gremlins, more gremlins, because we were talking about this the last once the gremlins turn. Basically, you don't need dialogue in the film. You just keep showing the gremlins doing their thing and and whatever. In fact, the only real memorable uh, scene with dialogue is Phoebe Cates' crazy effed out story. Yeah, I agree. It just comes out of nowhere. She kind of references. There might be a problem with Christmas, but you don't really see her totally rebuke the season. And then she comes out with this crazy speech that really doesn't make sense when you think about it. I mean, the whole point is her father died on Christmas. But if you think about how he died, you it's just mind boggling. Well, it, and it's weird that they that, I just kind of ask in the 80s. Did they really think chimneys are like four feet wide in I mean, Southern California? They do. Apparently, because they don't have, have chimneys, one. right? So they just assume that is how. Yeah, maybe. No, it's interesting that 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 speech is that Joe Dante fought with the studio and even argued with Spielberg a little bit about keeping that scene in. And I think that's probably one of the last remnants of the probably the original Chris Columbus dark screenplay. And and he cites in his example of why he argued it, for it to keep in is one, it gave her something to do. It was, you know, probably her only acting moment. Because she didn't really have anything before that. No, she's just the sidekick running around. Right, right and, which I, I don't get why they didn't show some skin because she is such a... <laughs> it's PG! <laughs> ah, PG. So it's, was 16 Candles. You don't show skin in a Spielberg film. Yeah. You just don't. So. But she just didn't need to be in the, the character, let alone the actress, just did not need to be in the film. Well, it, you give a romantic relationship to the Billy character. Not that it's important, but this is a it's a Spielberg film. That's, well, I wonder. Spielberg. I wonder if maybe they had conceived of Gizmo being the sidekick. If you abandon the Phoebe Cates character, if that's what originally she's written in as being the the sidekick, and then they kind of I'm not voting Phoebe out of this movie. <laughs> so. Well, all right, you. Gizmo doesn't talk. You need to have someone for Billy to bounce. I'm going to go. Let's go do this. And I it's. I mean, just for a plot point, you need another person there. And there's a short period of time where they're even together, because once they go hunting these things in uh, the movie theater, they split up right after that. And so they're not even together. Yeah. But it is interesting that in his argument to keep this in, he cites to the fact that earlier in the film, she mentions that she hates Christmas. And he's like, this, we have no explanation of that. 
but he doesn't have any problem of getting rid of Judge Reinhold or getting rid of Polly Holiday or getting rid of the lady who needs money. You know, you can abandon right. those plot points, but, you know, you felt that had to be explained somehow. Yeah, I, I think it just boiled down to negotiation. All right, we'll give you mom's head, but we need Phoebe's speech. <laughs> Yeah, the, they could have aban- they could have cleaned that up, and they didn't need it. They sh- could have just seen what they were going for, which is a fun kind of action oriented film, uh, at least the last part of it, and uh, and gotten rid of all the talky talky stuff at the beginning and moved it along because it's pretty slow at the beginning too. And I know Jason can't stand the first half of the film. No, I know it, it's very slow. It like Patrick is saying, they just drop plot points. I sort of like the dark humor of, of Phoebe's speech at the end. It's one of those things that I just remember from the film. And Patrick, you you brought up in the sequel, they do something pretty funny with that. Well, in the sequel, once again, poking fun at this film, someone brings up uh, the uh, Link or Lincoln's birthday, and she's she makes a comment, "Oh, don't talk to me about Lincoln's birthday. Something terrible happened." And she starts to talk on it, and she's married to the Billy character, and he comes over and said, "Honey, we don't have time for this right now." And, and they just abandon. And it. then they just abandon it. So, so we talked about a lot of the the scenes that are in the film, and and for me, one of the classic death scenes i guess is when Flo is on her elevator chair and the gremlins have rigged it and she goes flying up she gets and launched yeah that's a that's a good scene but that is a great scene what i don't understand is why they tried to make her the villain as right. if you know this is her just desserts type thing when the gremlins are just causing mayhem and if you're innocent they're going to try to kill you if you're good they're going to try to kill you if you're bad they're going to try to kill you the point is the gremlins are bad Flo right, could have been very unless, nice throughout this entire Unless film. you're plying them with booze like Phoebe Cates or you, you've got Snow White in the can. Yeah. Because yeah. they go after Phoebe's drunk customer uh, and his Mr. wife. Futterman or Flutterman yeah. or something like that. But the, the ultimate scene, the what I like to call the scene of the film is that bar scene. I love the bar scene. Yeah. Take it, Jason. Yeah. You give me puppets wanting to have fun, creating mayhem. I'm all in. I I love the gremlins in this scene when they're hurting each other and they, they don't help each other. They just laugh at others hurting each other. And you get all the different personality types, and there's so much being poked at at pop culture. It's like... Uh, yeah, these gremlins know the, their American pop culture. Yeah, it's, it's almost like Smurfs on acid, you know, like a bad acid trip. I, I think Smurfs were con- conceived on an acid trip, but they're all nice and friendly this is different. They all have their different personalities. You have the the flash dancer. You have the flasher, the robber, Stripe's leading a poker game. There's one that's a cross-dresser who's hitting on Stripe. Oh, that's right. Absolutely love it. Yeah, I like the scene of the, the one hanging onto the blades of the fan going around. And notice how they're not attacking Phoebe. And it, and it takes... No, a, she's just drink, She's just plying them with alcohol. Right, they're just... They love it. Yeah. It's a fairly long scene, too, especially since there's no dialogue. There's some background music and a lot of grunting. Yeah, I mean, up to that point, you're like, I don't know about this film. I don't know where they're going. I hit that scene. I'm all in. I I bought into it. I like the gremlins. Fuck Gizmo. I want a gremlin. (laughs) Well, I do like like, uh, Phoebe Cates, her character in that is she's working feverishly to, to serve these yeah, uh, these gremlins, right? She yes, just, these alcoholic beverages made of water. <laughs> She's just running around and <laughs> yeah, another breakdown of the film. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> None of these. This alcohol isn't getting on any of these uh, gremlins. That's they just funny. all end up at the bar. That's what the funny thing is, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then you have them in the movie theater watching uh, Snow, Snow White. Is a is a funny 
is a funny scene. But I, I made reference to the in the summary is is there is I did get the sense that this was a kind of a racist film, and I, I thought that was a very novel original idea that you know they give him the the uh, fried chicken, and this is Hollywood's co- commentary on see you let you let the black man into your small sleepy town, and they just take over and go crazy, and all types of mayhem happens. That that was kind of the uh, the the subtext there. And and I it was kind of tongue in cheek and kind of joking about it that you can you can find things that are racist in almost every film, but uh, oh, this one's loaded with it. But but Patrick actually found this was this was a common or a, at least a real criticism at the time. It was a real criticism, and this is all pre Jar Jar. This is all very pre Jar Jar. <laughs> Although I have to say, I think you're all in the head because I think you're looking for stereotypes that. Oh no, man! I got a whole list here. No, let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, some woman by the name of Pat- Patricia Turner wrote in her book "Ceramic Uncles and Celluloid Mammies." I'm offended by that title. <laughs> Gremlins reflect negative African American stereotypes in their dress and behavior. They are shown devouring fried chicken with their hands because nobody else eats fried chicken with their hands. Yeah, <laughs> fork and knife and fork, friend. baby, knife and fork. Listening to black music, break dancing, and wearing sunglasses after dark, and, and newsboy caps—a style common among African American males in the 1980s. Sorry, what was the black music? I don't think of it as black music. I think it's really crappy white music. Right. Yeah, I think of it like flash dance, not really bright. Yeah, this is Footloose, the Footloose shit that comes out. <laughs> it's kind of that in that in that vein. So, so. But, but Jason, you were talking about Snow White and where the racism from oh, that Oh, well, that, that's code for cocaine. But, but look at it. I mean, you have gremlins being served fried chicken. Not and only that. It, devouring it. Mogwais yeah. are bought and sold to white guys. I mean that's code for for slavery and racism. And Gizmo turns down the fried chicken, the white, the white, the good. That's right. right. You know, pre-Gremlin. The right. Tom motherfucker. There, there's robbers. It's just general. Well, he's kind of the house. Yeah, that's a good way of putting yeah. it. General mayhem. When when Stripe jumps into the pool, he's not swimming. He's sinking. A la <laughs> black guys can't swim. And then Gizmo at the end steals a car. Who does he steal it from? The white woman. I'm telling you, there are some racial undertones in this. I'm not supporting it. I like the film to a point, but if it crosses that racial line, I'm out. Look, and it and this is the same stuff as in Back to the Future that I think is very racist. No, and, and then in, in Gremlins, <laughs> the, the black teacher, as we already said, he yeah. is the first to die. Absolutely. And that's oh, and, such a convention. And, and maybe at right. this point, they're becoming cliche, which would have been more... And when the black teacher, when he says, hey, if anyone's thinking about getting me a Christmas present, here's some stuff I would like, Super Bowl tickets. And you go, what? I don't ever see a white teacher saying that in film. All right, Patrick, I think she's on to something. I think you guys are reading too much shit in. Racist. (laughs) Gizmo turns down the fright. (laughs) So in essence, he's turning turning his back on his his people. He's the Uncle Tom of this. Yep. Wake up, white America. You know, Spike Lee should remake this film. We'll see how funny it is now to white people. <laughs> He'd have them all. If, if you feed him mayonnaise, he turns uncool. That's all tongue-in-cheek, though. I mean, it... it yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it, it's a fun film. I, I do think people... Reading too much into yeah, it. Yeah, reading They, they yeah. want to find something wrong with it. Yeah. Lunchtime Movie Review does not really think that it's... Because I've eaten fried commentary. chicken with all... For all three of you guys, and weekly, you know, yeah, no, and and when we and re- we all eat it with our hands, and when we reviewed Birth of a Nation, we found nothing wrong with that film either. 
Back to the Future, on the other hand, does not get a pass from me. You don't get to take take rock and roll from the black man. Here, here. The uh, the last scene I like. I do like the sequence of the getting ready to morph, and the the stripe is bubbling and bursting, and then the the light comes on, and I like the melting sequence. I think that's that's cool. But then the but then the the end scene where the, Mr. Ming comes in and and takes back Gizmo because that that one is pretty racist at that point. It's all oh, you foolish Americans, you you, you Westerners, people. you you destroy everything you you have that you have control over and dominion over, and it is definitely a commentary on on that, which is kind of effed out. And and it's kind of weird because Patrick pointed out that that he sets something up, that Mr. Ming sets something up. Oh, it's something I I noticed for the first time just watching it last week when we watched it was, you know, when he's wa- getting ready to walk out the door, uh, Gizmo's, you know, babbling, and he's talking back to Gizmo, and Billy asks him, you understand what he says? And he says, when you're ready to listen, when you're ready to take basically take care of him, you'll understand what he says, too. And then at that point... Gizmo knocks on the box and he opens it up and he says, by Billy. And the first time you very clearly can understand what he's saying. Now, I was my impression of that is that is Billy now ready and that's the first he can hear it for the first time or ready for what? He knew the rules. He he got duped into breaking them. What is he what does he need to be ready for to take care of this creature now? Get rid of this creature. Kill this creature. And, And by the way, I heard gizmo say mogwai at least a dozen times before he says bye billy you know this is just crap if they throw an asian on screen he's not doing karate they need to make him some sort of mystical uh, spiritual leader of all of us and no one no one wants to point out to mr ming that america's so bad that's why you came here and opened a shop you hypocritical son of a bitch yeah, and have you seen the environmental protections that china has none Right, because China's so clean. Right. Or South Korea or Japan or wherever you're, wherever from. you're from. He's Laotian. Maybe the gremlins weren't really meant to be uh, black, but Chinese. Oh. Like Chinese introduced to right. consumerism, introduced to... Fried chicken? To the free market. Of course Gizmo's not Asian. You see the way he drove that fat? He didn't crash into anything. <laughs> he crashed into everything. They also uh, don't like the flashes of the cameras. Not Asian. Not Asian. I'm going black. Well, you, actually, before we move to the social commentary, Jason, you had an interesting take on what this really is. This is a moral tale of a different sort. Consumerism. Yeah, how, how Americans kind of want everything, and, and here you have the patriarch of the family, the, the failed inventor. He wants to get to something unique for his son. And he wants to make a quick buck. He's always about making a quick buck. Right. He wants to either sell products, but in this case, he wants to buy a mogwai, even though they tell him he can't have it. When he, when he hears he can have it, he wants it even more to give his son something unique. And this is the danger of, of getting things that you should not uh, possess. Right, because you can, hey, if I, as, a, as an American, if I want to buy something, if I have the money for it, my green's as good as anyone and my money's as green as anyone's and I will buy it. And so he does, which I do think is funny. He's like, come on, give me this creature this one species on the face of this planet i got a hundred dollars right and it, and it makes sense that when the gremlins do turn how much candy they're going after uh the only english the gremlins speak other than yum yum is one of them during the theater when snow white is playing you hear him say milk duds and awesome. so it's them just wanting and consuming as much as they can wake up america spielberg always teaching us lessons 
Yeah, the consumerism. Most, the most consumer right. director out now go out there. And buy, <laughs> now go out and buy Gizmo and Gremlin dolls <laughs> and all the merchandise. That, right. Video games. Right. Dolls, cups, and t-shirts. It, and it is weird because we talked about how Christmas movies, at the end, they always want to have some moral in there. You know, it's about family, togetherness, you know, uh, the gift of, of life in, I'm going to say, the only religion. Sorry, Spielberg, you were wrong. Um but in this case, there's really no moral tale at the end. and Well, they, they try to. With they the, try to, and it just fails. Yeah, I, I agree. And you do talk about Christmas movies, and the, the question, is this a Christmas film? Sure. Well, just okay, because that's good enough for me. Yeah, yeah, all right. sure. Corey Feldman dresses as a Christmas tree. It's a Christmas <laughs> film. I mean, well, Other than it taking place at Christmas time. I mean, I... I it's kind of interesting. We, you know, obviously, Christmas Story is a Christmas film. Christmas Vacation is a Christmas film. Die Hard, I would consider more of a Christmas film. It's more central Coming to the soon. story. I yeah. love how you say even Die Hard's more Christmas than Gremlins. No, I think Die Hard is more Christmas than Gremlins. Gremlins is it's set during Christmas, but it's not really a, a main theme. You have Corey Feldman in a suit, and you have a gremlin coming out of the Christmas tree, and the fact that this is given as a early Christmas present. But other than that, it's but not really Again, Christmas. if you accept that perhaps it is a social commentary, then it makes more sense that it's a, it's a Christmas film, because it is about the consumerism at Christmas time. It's more like a fairy tale. No, I would agree with that. It's designed just, to just scare the shit out of kids. Right. Don't do your shopping in Chinatown. <laughs> You're going to find some weird shit. But yeah, they don't have an over... Uh, like I said, a, a Christmas story or a Christmas message at all. No, and you could have you could have set well, this. Die like, Hard doesn't either. Well, yeah, but Die Hard incorporates Christmas into it a little bit more. Because he has more. Ho, Ho, Ho sticker on his back with a handgun. Well, that and he puts Ho, Ho, Ho. Now I have a machine gun and the fact that he's there for Christmas. It's a little we bit We need more. to celebrate Christmas with you, Patrick. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. there's, there's a little bit more Christmas involved in the central story of Die Hard than there is with Gremlins. Gremlins is, it could have been, you know, Greg and I talked about this before. It could have been he brought a new pet home and said it at any other time of year as well. The worst thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> oh, God, it was so horrible. Okay, you're going to cite to the one scene that both of you guys want, you should believe that should not appear in the film no i think I it say shouldn't be in there i, I think, think it should funny. be in the film it is kind of out of nowhere but it, it gives it some life and some depth to her character and it's kind of a a commentary of hey don't try to go down the chimney like a retard that's the true meaning of christmas if you could fit all right let's uh go around and see if this stands the test of time patrick i this i hadn't seen this for probably about 10 or 15 years I was actually surprised at how well it's held up. It's, you know, it's very much a product of the mid-80s, and I loved it when I was a kid. I saw it opening weekend. I remember anxiously waiting to see this. I actually even had the novelization of the film. I read that before I saw the film. Um, it's, it was a really big movie to me back then. I didn't think I was going to like it nearly as much as I did, but I do think it, it stands the test of time. I think it is held up very, very well. It's even... With the exception of the stop motion animation of the gremlins walking down the street yeah. in the middle of the film, yeah, that's pretty bad. That that one scene would be the one I think looks a little cheesy, but the rest of it, even though it's just puppets, this is not digital animation in any way. It looks really good, and I think it it is just as entertaining probably for kids today, older kids today, not four year olds. Yeah. But I think it's a, it, it does stand the test of time, and I would highly recommend it. Greg, what do you think? I liked it as a kid. I like it now, and. In- in spite of the fact that it really is slow-paced until the gremlins take over the film. And the acting is not its not bad acting, but it's just kind of dull acting. The 
comedy sometimes does. It's hit or miss, and on the comedy, and they're puppets, Greg. What do you expect from them? And the special effects, you know, are occasionally cheesy, although right. for the most part they work. And the racist overtones, and <laughs> other than that, it's a great movie. <laughs> I, I, I really, you know, it's it's a fun movie, and I I love me the puppets. I agree with what both Patrick and. Greg said, I loved it as a kid. It was a little slow moving today, but I still enjoyed it. Uh, all the scenes that I remember were just as good this time, and I watched it with my kids, and they uh, uh, they really liked it. So I think Gremlins uh, stands the test of time. Jason? Yeah, I liked it as a kid. Like it now. Love the bar scene. Love them watching Snow White. I'm all in at that point. Little things, angry things, puppets, hitting each other. That That's what Christmas is all about. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening from Lunchtime Movie Review. Check our webpage out. We're adding content daily. Got all types of links and videos and extras, deleted scenes, uh, blog posts, articles, uh, artwork. Uh, there's all types of stuff on the webpage, so check it out. Send us a comment at comments at lunchtimemoviereview.com. Well, keep listening, and uh, we're getting out of here right now, and you guys are invited. podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only the theme music for lunchtime movie review fireworks is provided courtesy of alexander nakaranda at serpentsoundstudios.com under a creative commons attribution 4.0 license all original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the mhn podcast network lunchtime movie review and fuzzy bunny slippers entertainment llc unless otherwise noted